Hi, I'm Robin, and welcome back to part two of the seven principles for making marriage work. So this is a book that I talked about in the last podcast episode, part one, um, by John Gottman, and he's a relationship researcher. So he's done a bunch of studies and found that there's certain ways that happily married people show up that are different from those that are unhappily married. And so we're continuing our look at those seven principles. So this week, we're going to start with principle four. And principle four is letting your partner influence you. So in happily married couples, the partners let each other influence each other. So accepting influence is basically considering your partner's opinion and taking their feelings or ideas into account when making decisions. And considering our partner's opinions and letting them influence us conveys honor and respect. And it really comes from this thought principle. And they don't talk about this in the book, but I first heard this from um, a marriage coach named Maggie Reyes. And she talked about one of the important things in marriages or in any relationships is thinking that you're on the same team. And when we think that we're on the same team, we approach problems um, on the same team. So it's more of like a discussion and we, we think about the other player and we think about, okay, as a team, how are we going to solve this problem? I want you to imagine like you're a football on a football field, right? And if you're thinking that, you know, you're one team, you're on one side of the field and your partner's on the other side of the field and your opposite teams, then you're kind of either playing offense or playing defense. And so instead of working together and thinking, okay, what, you know, what does my partner think about this? Let's work as a team. You're working in opposites, right? This is where we start to get where we're trying to convince the other person that we're right. We're trying to like play defense and get defensive. It just doesn't work. Instead, I want you to imagine, so one of you, you know, you're both on the same team, on the same side of the field, right? You're both sitting on the bench, you're on the same team, and opposing you is the problem, right? The opposite team is actually the problem. Now you guys are going to be able to work together, right? We're on the same team. And in that space, you work together and you let your partner influence you. So if you're making a major decision, it's not just, well, what do I want? What works best for me? It becomes like, okay, this is a team. What works best for us, right? And in order to find that out, we have to talk about it, right? What do you think? What's your opinion? What's my opinion? And one of the things that can happen and why people um, are opposed to this sometimes. So I want to talk about the book a little bit more. He said that very often in our like North American culture that it's actually the male who resists influence. So females tend to, he, he hypothesizes that this is based on socialization. He says that usually, not always, but usually what happens is females are like open to influence and they're really good at considering their partner and considering their partner's opinions and taking that into account. Now, this isn't all the time, right? And you'll want to look at yourself and say, am I someone like, do I, do I take my partner's opinion into account actually? Like, am I really respecting their opinion or am I not? Because I know sometimes I'm not good at this. Sometimes I'm not good at really respecting and conveying honor to the people that I'm in relationship with, right? Whether that's friendship or romantic relationship, whatever. 
But he said that in the research, they found this, that it was usually men who had a more difficult time accepting influence. And I was talking to my boyfriend the other day and I was just sort of joking. I can't remember what we were talking about. Mm, we were talking about couches um, and like, uh, um, like home decor and stuff, which I care a lot more about than he does. And I made a joke about like happy wife, happy life and that kind of thing of like, you know, just make your wife happy and or your partner happy, whatever. Right. And he, you know, we were having fun and joking about it, but he also brought up that like that kind of thing is just like it, it kind of conveys this idea that like, you know, the the wife's opinion matters and the guy's just supposed to kind of go along with it. And that's that idea is what keeps people from letting their partner influence them. So letting your partner influence you isn't, okay, whatever my wife wants, she gets. My opinion doesn't matter. That's not right, right? And that's the opposite, right? That's where we are on opposite teams and I'm just going to give in. That's not what we want. That doesn't create a healthy relationship. I actually have a whole podcast on this. Um, it's titled something like when your partner can't say no and the issues it creates that creates just as many issues as someone who always wants their way. Someone who gives in and doesn't talk about things still has us on opposite teams. Instead, what it really is, is my partner is like, I respect them. And if we look back um, to the last episode where we talked about fondness and admiration and really that idea of respect, respecting my partner, like I think highly of my partner and I care what they think. And I believe I can probably learn something from them a lot of the time. When we're in that mindset, then it becomes a discussion, right? And that's when we start to let them influence us because we admire and respect their opinion. And that creates us being on the same team. And that creates us really believing that we can make a better decision together, letting both of us influence each other than I could on my own. And that that's a good relationship, right? That idea that together we can actually be better and learn from each other. We're going to get into in some of the further principles that there's going to be things where um, we, we're going to talk about unsolvable problems. But even if we have an unsolvable problem where we're both really, really opposed, like we just need different things, which we'll talk about more, that idea that I can learn from my partner is going to help you overcome those things. So letting your partner influence you is not about happy wife, happy life. I mean, it's a funny thing to talk about, right? But it's not about just doing whatever your partner wants. It's really about we're on the same team. Both of what, both of our opinions matter. We both matter. And with my clients, a lot of the time, I tend to have um, mostly female clients. I have some male clients too. But even in my male clients, most of the clients that come to me, they accept too much influence. Their issue isn't that they don't accept influence. Their issue is that they accept too much influence and they kind of become that person who instead of my needs matter, like my opinion matters and what I need matters and my partner, what they need matters and us coming together is going to come up with a better solution than we could on our own. My type of clients tend to fit into this, you know, I, what I need doesn't matter. And we don't say this consciously but we just let me or maybe taught it growing up that we don't even know what we need. And we think sometimes what we need is just to make the other person happy because we want to avoid conflict or we 
are really worried about losing the relationship. And that's not what we want to do in this principle. That's going to create just as many issues as, like I said, the person who never takes any influence, right? We really want to be in that in that partnership where we're both influencing each other. So we want to be able to accept influence and we want to be able to who give influence, right? And feel like, you know, in this relationship, my opinion matters and the other person cares about my opinion. And in order to do that, we have to believe that are what we think and what we feel is important and matters both right both what what we think matters what they think matters and instead of happy wife happy life it becomes like both of us working together makes for a happy life right not just one of us pleasing the other or one of us making all the decisions so really thinking this one instead of let your partner influence you i want you to think more about what maggie reyes taught me a long time ago about we're on the same team because that's really what he's meaning in this chapter is we're on the same team and we work together as a team it's not one of us or the other of us okay that was principle four principle five is solve your solvable problems okay so before this before this kind of principle five they have like a mini chapter in the book and it talks about solvable versus unsolvable problems this I want to talk about because I think this is really, really huge. And um, I actually learned a lot in this chapter looking at the solvable and unsolvable problems. So I want to talk it through with you. So solvable problems, they there's like a solution or a resolution and you can solve it, which sounds obvious. But we're going to talk about unsolvable or perpetual problems. So unsolvable problems happen when partners have opposing emotional needs and they're not solvable. They're not, they're something that you're just going to always have, not necessarily a conflict over, but it's not going to be something that goes away, right? So a solvable problem, they, they give an example, they talk about you know, the one partner was like always in a hurry. They partner, two partners would drive to work together every morning. And the husband was always driving really fast and it bothered the wife. And she's like, why are you always speeding? What's going on? And he said to her, he's like, well, I'm speeding because we're late because, you know, I, we need to leave the house at like, say, 815, but you're not ready till 820, sometimes 825. So then I'm feeling rushed and I end up speeding to work. And so they talked it through and she was like, okay, well, I'm running late because I have to help the kids do these, like get lunches ready and get the kids ready. You know, if you could help me with that, I'd be willing to get up a little bit earlier so we have some more time. And if you'd be willing to help with that, I think that we could solve this problem of running late. So this is a solvable problem, right? There's like, it's like, oh yeah, okay, if we get up earlier, maybe we make lunches the night before, we can figure it out. Unsolvable problems is where we have opposing emotional needs. So I'm going to give an example of an anxious person and a person who's more avoidant. So when there's conflict in our relationship, if you tend to be more anxious and attached, you'll usually want to talk it out right away. You don't want to, you can't just walk away from it. You're feeling really anxious. You're wanting reassurance and security from your partner. You're like, hey, I need you. We need to talk about this. If you're avoidant, you'll tend to want some space to process instead. You'll want to be able to self-regulate, kind of calm down, think about it on your own, and then come back to the relationship. 
So these are opposite needs, right? In the moment of a conflict, these are really opposing needs. And that that's not something we can really solve, right? We can't both meet the need of the avoidant person who needs space and meet the need of the anxious person who needs to talk about it right away in that moment. What happens is in these situations, instead of solving it and coming to a real resolution, we accept that, hey, we're different. We have different emotional needs and then we learn to manage it. So we learn to figure out ways that we can manage it. And for each couple, that will be different. It might be, hey, I need to take space, but I'm going to come back in 15 minutes. It might be talking about it for 15 minutes until we until we kind of reach 15 minutes and then giving some space it might be not talking about it but spending time together or having some reassurance and then talking about it later so many different options but for me this idea that they said that 69 percent of relationship or marital conflicts they said are unsolvable there are these perpetual problems that don't have a simple solution and then we're not going to be easily solved and that we're just going to have to manage was really eye-opening, right? That they also talked about that basically when you choose to be with someone, you're choosing which um, unsolvable problems you're going to pick, right? That no matter who you're with, there isn't ever going to be a person that you don't have any of these unsolvable problems with. That's just not possible. And that this isn't in unhappy marriages that that you have these unsolvable problems. This is in all marriages. All relationships have this. And the difference between those are happily married and that those are unhappily married is that first, we'll talk about this in principle five, the people that are happily married solve the solvable problems and the people that are unhappily married don't. And the people that are happily married also learn how to accept and manage the unsolvable problems instead of thinking that they need to solve them. So so we're going to talk about five steps to solving just your solvable problems, right? That 30% of problems where they could actually be solved and resolved instead of continuing and building up resentment and causing all kinds of, of problems. So they give some keys for managing conflict, some kind of mindset tips. And it really talks about too how it's really important to incorporate the first three principles where we're getting to really know and understand each other we're creating fondness and admiration for our partner and we're really having this foundation of respect i respect and honor my partner okay so first when managing conflict it's important to remember that negative emotions are important it can be really hard to hear that someone else is unhappy with us right or that they're angry that can be really hard but those negative emotions hold really important information about that person and their experience. And they can teach us how to learn to love that person better. And that's the same for us too. It can be sometimes difficult to express our negative emotions, especially if we tend to be conflict averse. But that's actually what's going to end up creating more love and connection is like leaving space and room for those negative emotions also for ourselves, right? A lot of these principles are also going to help us with our relationship with ourselves. Then the next thing is no one is right. So a lot of the time I have had people come to me and they like ask who's right and who's wrong in this situation. Read this text message. Are they right and I'm wrong or am I wrong? Who's what's what's happening? 
And really no one's right. I mean, there's very few cases. I would say like if there's domestic violence happening or something like that, I mean, that's, I would say like wrong, right? We know that, okay, that's not okay. But in things like how should we handle this conflict or like who should do the housework or like I should we have kids or not? There's no right and wrong. And looking for right and wrong, it just isn't useful, honestly, even if someone is right and wrong. Instead, we want to go back to that principle of like, we're on the same team. We have different needs, but we're on the same team and we have a common goal to be happy. And then acceptance is crucial. So really accepting that your partner has different needs and is different than you and that's okay. And then focusing again on that fondness and admiration. So reminding yourself that you actually like your partner, that there's things about them that attracted you to them and that you like them. Okay, so solving your solvable problems, we have five steps that are going to help you solve those solvable problems. And he also talks in the book about these steps are doable. These steps are skills that you likely already have that you can do. This isn't impossible and it's not going to take forever. So first, soften your startup. So make sure you're going in softly. Two, learn to make and receive repair attempts. Three, soothe yourself and each other. Four, compromise. And five, process any grievances so that they don't linger. Okay, so we'll start with number one. What's a soft startup? So a soft startup is basically having good manners. So he gives an example of if you had a friend leaving the house and they had forgotten their umbrella, you would just say, oh, hey, like you might reach out the door. You forgot your umbrella. Versus with your partner, you might be like, what's wrong with you? I'm always having to pick up things after you. Don't you know it's raining? And for me, this really hit home, this example, because I think sometimes in our closest relationships, we can sometimes forget to just have good manners. And this happens because resentments have built up or frustrations, and we tend to show our worst selves in our closest relationships. And that's something we want to be able to do. You don't want to have to be fake and have like fake manners or something. You do want to be honest. And happily happily married couples are honest. That's true. However, with the soft startup, what I really think is that it comes down to how am I thinking about my partner? Like, am I actually respecting them and honoring them? Am I treating them in a way of someone I respect and I honor? So soft startup, I would just check in with your manners. That's going to be the easiest way to know, right? So it's not accusatory. It's not attacking their character. It's just saying, hey, this is a problem. You forgot your umbrella. How can we address it? It's not, hey, what's wrong with you? You always forget everything. I'm always having to do everything. Don't you know it's raining? Super disrespectful. So that's soften your startup. Check in with where you are emotionally and what you're thinking about your partner before you start this conversation. And then even if you're really working hard on this and really working hard on doing a gentle startup, don't expect to see results right away. A lot of the time we fall into patterns with our partner and even if we change, our, pa- our partner's still going to react from that same old pattern. So if before we were often like criticizing or like not respecting our partner and now we've changed, it's going to take more than once or twice for your partner to really see, oh, okay, there has been a change here. Your partner still might react in a negative way at first. That's okay. Keep working on it and you will see change over time. Or at the very least, you're going to get some really good information about what's happening and what you can try next. 
Okay, so that was step one, when you're gonna try to solve a solvable problem, soften your startup. Step two is to learn to make and receive repair attempts. So repair attempts are anything that de-escalates the situation. So it de-escalates a conflict, it doesn't make more conflict happen, it lessens it, and it creates connection. So repair attempts can look like giving someone a hug. It can look like a goofy smile. It can look like acknowledging, yeah, you know, you're right about that part. It can look like acknowledging our part. It's anything that brings us back to that idea that we're a team, we're going to solve this together, and I care about you and respect you. So it isn't getting defensive and saying, hey, well, you did that last time, or I already tried this, or you always do this. That's going to escalate the conflict, right? It might be saying, hey, yeah, this is my part. This is what I, like, I see you trying. Anything that really creates more connection. Okay, so you're in that conflict. You've used a gentle startup, and then you know that you have to give and receive repair attempts but you're still feeling really overwhelmed and you notice your heart rate starting to increase, you're feeling agitated, or you can tell that your partner's kind of getting escalated. So this is when step three comes in. You need to soothe yourself and each other. So sometimes conflict can bring up um, what they call in the book flooding. So when you just get overwhelmed emotionally and physically, when we're in this state, when our body's in this state of like hyper, like aware and um, escalated, it makes it really hard for us to discuss things logically. So what you need to do is self-soothe. And the biggest way that you can do this is by sometimes just taking a break from the conflict. It's maybe taking 20 minutes to just have a break. We're going to come back to this later and spending time doing something that you enjoy. Maybe it's just cleaning the house or maybe taking a walk, getting out in nature, listening to some music, just anything that's going to give you a real break. Not something where you're rehearsing the argument over and over and over, but something where you're really letting it go for a few minutes. Maybe it's meditation, something else. That's going to let your body come back to a state where you're relaxed and you can actually problem solve. One of the things I noticed when I was reading this section is that sometimes when my boyfriend and I were fighting, he'll try to pause the argument or stop it. And I tend to be resistant to that because I want to figure it all out right now. Let's get it all done right now. And I was interpreting sometimes him doing that as him avoiding. But when we think about, hey, my partner needs to self-soothe when they're getting escalated or when they're feeling overwhelmed, one of the ways that they do that is by saying, hey, let's take a break. And that's actually a way that they can then come back to the issue later. And if your partner does that, I, I think sometimes we think that that's avoiding a problem, but it can actually be a really great strategy to deal with a problem is to take a break and come back to it later. So if you notice yourself talking in circles, not getting anywhere, feeling like the argument's just escalating, take a break and self-soothe. Okay, step four is compromise. And I'm going to read a line from the book. So he says that like it or not, compromise is the only way to solve marital problems. Now, I actually hate the idea of compromise only because to me, it, I interpret it as like, I don't fully get what I want and you don't fully get what you want and we meet in the middle. And how you really want to think of compromise isn't like that. We want to think about it like it's a win-win. We both get what we want. 
And what that takes is going back to step four that we just talked about. It's realizing that we're on the same team and accepting influence. So not thinking, hey, this is my way. This is your way. Who wins? But we're on the same team. We're both looking to be happy. What really helps with that is trying to find some common ground. So what do we both want here? We both want to be happy. We both want to feel connected. What do we need in order to do that? For any problem, try to find that common ground. And then the last part is step five, and it's processing any grievances so that they don't linger. So this is where you talk about how you are really feeling and if something hurts you, right? So letting yourself express those feelings of, hey, when you said this, it hurt me, or it triggered this thing from the past, or you know what, I felt really unsupported by you when we were talking. If you don't ever bring those up and process them, then what can happen is they sort of build up. You sort of push them down and they build up and they'll create future resentment. So step five is really dealing with those things and bringing them to light and talking about them, not in a way where you're accusatory or like criticizing your partner, but in a way where you're really sharing yourself and sharing your experience and how you experience the fight and how you're feeling and where you're really open to letting your partner know how you are feeling and for their response or if you're the person that the other person has been hurt and is feeling hurt, acknowledge that and acknowledge your part and say that you're sorry for how um, they were feeling and how you responded and um, for how the argument went. And remember that often it's not like what you were arguing about really, but more how they were feeling when you were arguing and how you were feeling when you were arguing and what you were making that argument mean. Okay, so this episode we talked about letting your partner influencing you really by thinking and knowing that you're on the same team. And then we talked about the different kinds of problems. So solvable problems, which we talked about those five steps for how to solve them. And then the unsolvable problems. So next week, we're going to finish this off with part three. And we're going to go and dive into those unsolvable problems. The book doesn't give that much information on the unsolvable problems. So I'm going to expand a little bit on that and teach you how to deal with and accept those things that are unsolvable and how to manage them. So I hope you have a wonderful week and let me know if you use this to solve one of your solvable problems.